0: Broadcasting live from the North Fulton Business Radio X Studio, it's time for To Your Health with Dr. Jim Morrow. To Your Health is brought to you by Morrow Family Medicine, an award-winning primary care practice which brings the care back to health care.
1: Good afternoon. This is Dr. Jim Morrow. I am with Morrow Family Medicine, and as she told you, we have offices in Cumming and Milton, Georgia. We like to say that we're bringing care back to health care. And I think for the most part, that's what we're doing. We're trying every day to do the best that we can for what your needs are. And we try to meet those needs as best we possibly can. We are sitting here in the North Fulton Business Radio X studio in the Renaissance Bank on Windward Parkway in Alpharetta, Georgia. And again, I'm joined by my producer and cohort, John Ray. John, how are you? I'm great. How are you today? Had your mic turned on and everything. I had it
0: turned on this time.
1: (laughs) I'm great. I'm glad to be here. We got a good I'm... timely discussion today. Is
0: this about beer? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes.
1: About why you should drink Dosakis. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> yeah. Lots of memes going around about this one. So
1: I need my marketing person and wife to get on the Do- Dosakis people about the fact that we're advertising for them. So yeah, today this is very timely. We are talking about the 2019 novel coronavirus. And it's the thing that you've heard a lot about, probably had a little bit of concerns about. Uh, there are thousands and thousands of cases being reported now. We're going to talk about this in great detail, probably in to some degree in more detail than you wish. Uh, and if you're listening live, we appreciate that. I've been thrilled that more people have been listening to the live show here at 1 o'clock on the second and fourth Wednesdays. <clears throat> and you can see that on the or hear that on the Mara Family Medicine page and also on the Mara Family Medicine Facebook page you can listen live. So hopefully you've got people out there doing that right now. So the coronavirus was first reported on December 31st of last year and it was found and first detected in Wuhan, China. And this is a corona. it's a virus, that's part of a group of other viruses that typically come from animals to humans, and that's a little bit of a complex, uncertain uh, knowledge there as far as the transmission. But typically, that's the way these viruses travel, and it's called coronavirus because of the little spikes. If you look at it under electron microscopy, you can see these little spikes that stick off off the virus. And if you look at one of these things, you'll realize why it's so wicked, because it just absolutely looks wicked. Now, the World Health Organization has recently renamed this uh, from the 2019 novel coronavirus to COVID-19, which is coronavirus disease 19. But I'm going to call it coronavirus because it's easier for me to say and try to remember. Now, early on, like I said, the patients that were experiencing symptoms with this virus were found in Wuhan, China, or had just been in Wuhan, China. And it's been linked back to a very large seafood and wild animal market there in China. Now, Wuhan, China has more people in it, the way I understand it, than New York City does in a much, 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 much smaller footprint. So it's a living condition and a working condition that we've probably can't understand very well in this country unless you've been there. Now, lately and since the report on December 31st, a growing number of people have reportedly been diagnosed with the disease who had not had exposure to animal markets. And, of course, that indicates person-to-person spreads occurring. And that's where you get concerned about this because it's a lot easier to avoid wild animals in large seafood markets than it is people. And so that's that's why everybody is really as concerned about this as they are. What we don't know is how easily or even how sustainably this virus is going to continue to be spread between people. I've spoken t- personally to some infectious disease experts that say that they firmly believe that there's a chance that this is just going to sort of peter out and it's going to not turn out to be the terrible thing from Stephen King's book, The Stand, that some people are concerned about. But we just don't know, and there's an awful lot that we don't know, mostly about transmission of this virus. So what we do know is that our, uh, the virus comes from, I mentioned animals, but it's camels, cattle, cats, and bats. <clears throat> and a lot of those things are sold as food in the markets in China. Now, bats are not typically sold in, in the animal markets, but they are sold as food in China, and so that can pre- present a problem. And rarely uh, one of these coronaviruses can infect people and then spread between people. Now, it's happened before with what was called MERS, which is Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, and then SARS, which is severe, uh, Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome. And they call these things by the acronym for a reason, I can promise you. And now, of course, it seems to be happening with coronavirus. Person-to-person spread, though, is is thought to occur mainly the same way that a cold is spread. It's via respiratory droplets produced when an infected person coughs or sneezes. Very similar to the flu, similar to a cold, and things that we're accustomed to that we have a lot of experience with. And one of the fears with this virus is that we just don't know a lot about it and we don't have any experience with it. Now, these droplets, when you see somebody sneeze, it's it's. It's impossible in the vast majority of cases to see this, but once in a blue moon, they'll sneeze right in a sunbeam, and you'll be able to see the cloud of droplets that comes out. And if these droplets make their way into your mouth, then you've been exposed to the virus, and you're at risk for getting infected. And that's the way it works. The virus has got to land in your nose or mouth in order for you to get infected with it. It's really unclear right now about whether or not you can touch a surface that an infected person touched, and get this particular virus. We know for a fact that you can do that with the cold virus and influenza virus. In fact, it's the very reason that I try my very best not to sign a credit card receipt or anything else with someone else's pen. If you think about it, people have in a restaurant, they're passing pens around, people are wiping their nose, signing their name, putting the pen down. You come along, pick it up touch your mouth, which we do an inordinate number of times a day. It's ridiculous how many times you touch your eyes or your mouth without even thinking about it, and then you've been exposed and you're at risk of getting the virus. People are thought, like in most viral cases, they're thought to be most contagious when they are the sickest. That's when they're shedding virus the most. But the the ease with which a virus spreads from person to person varies a great deal. Some viruses like uh, measles, for example, are very contagious and other viruses are not so contagious. And there's a lot still to be learned about transmissibility and the severity of this particular virus. But scientists have estimated in this short period of time that each person with the new coronavirus could infect between one and a half and three and a half people if they're not trying to be careful not to do so. And if you think about it, you can do the math yourself. You probably have to break out your calculator to do it. But one and a half people, one person infecting one and a half to three and a half, and each of those call it two people, infecting two people. It doesn't take long to get to a large number of people. And that's why so far at this point, at least as of this morning when I looked, there have been over 45,000 cases of coronavirus reported around the world. There have only been 13 reported in the United States, and no deaths in the United States. I'm pretty sure that's still right. But 1,100 people have died from this virus. So it's not something to be taken lightly. It's something we all need to be aware of and and take very seriously. The virus is probably about as contagious as SARS. And you may remember back in 2003, I think it was, several news reports about SARS and, and how it was Uh, Killing people, its its death rate was less than ten percent, but it was still, you know, close to seven hundred and fifty people somewhere in that neighborhood. So it's important that we're careful with these things. Like I said, these things travel through the air, but the droplets fall to the ground within a few feet. So if you're ten feet away from someone who has this virus, I don't recommend you hang around there, but you should be okay. But if you're in real close proximity, then you're very likely to be exposed. And if you think about air travel, well, there's very few places other than a Greyhound bus where where you're in closer proximity than that. And so it's a very easy way to spread this virus person to person. And if you can imagine people flying from China, making stops and making their way to the United States, by the time they get here, they're probably fully infected and maybe even contagious already. So this could be a, a, a huge problem. Now, how far viruses travel also varies from virus to virus. I mentioned that if you're within three feet or so of an infected person, you might be exposed. But if you're farther, you're likely not. But measles, I mentioned it being real contagious. Measles can travel up to 100 feet, and it can stay alive on hard surfaces for hours. And so we've heard earlier this year about some measles outbreaks because of non-vaxxers primarily. And so this is a much larger problem, and the measles death rate's a lot higher than this is, too. So it's not as bad as that. But the transmission numbers are not really set in stone. They can be reduced by effective measures, public health measures, things like isolating sick people, tracking individuals they've had contact with, and that kind of thing. And here's a phrase you won't hear very often, but to your government's credit – They've been very good, the CDC has, about putting things in motion so that this disease can be slowed and the spread can be stopped, at least in the United States. So talking about symptoms. For confirmed infections, really illnesses have ranged from people with little to no symptoms, just a sneeze or a cough here and there, to to, to people being severely ill, and like I mentioned, some have died, but mainly it's fever cough, and shortness of breath. Now, people get fever and cough all the time with upper respiratory things and primarily the flu, but the shortness of breath is key in this. And the CDC's reported that at this time at least, symptoms can appear in as few as two days from exposure or can take as long as 14 days. And that 14 days is important. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. And this is based mainly on what they've seen, but also what they experienced with the MERS and SARS viruses. So if you look at the people that have been exposed, I mentioned that to this point there are 45,000 cases and 1,100 deaths, and that's in the neighborhood of probably 2%. But uh, among 75 – I'm sorry, 17,000 people who were affected in China – 82% 82% only had mild infections and mild symptoms, 15% had more severe symptoms, and only 3% were critical. So it's it's going to be something where you might get this if you're exposed, but the likelihood is that you're not going to have a terrible outcome from it. When it comes to prevention and treatment, even in my office, you see people who are healthy who put on a mask. And really, the healthy person wearing a mask to prevent and illness really doesn't do a great deal of good. It's the sick person putting on the mask that catches those droplets and prevents that cloud of spray that really helps make a difference because if you think about the mask you know you're if you're breathing in that you can breathe in and you can breathe in through the sides of that mask and that's one way you can still get the virus so it's the people with the symptoms who really need to be most careful. There is not a specific treatment for any of these coronaviruses. You treat them much like you would the flu, although for the flu we have Tamiflu. I'm not a big fan of Tamiflu for a variety of reasons, the biggest one of which is it just doesn't work well. But there's not anything right now for coronavirus. And as far as vaccines, if you're thinking, well, we'll get a vaccine, I think we will, but it will be about a year from now before we have a vaccine for coronavirus. It's not going to happen in a hurry, not at all. So I want to take a second and thank everyone for listening. I've been so pleased at the office and around town when I see people in here that they're listening to the podcast and they're going back and catching up on previous episodes and going through what now has become a library I guess, this is 26 episodes. And I, I really do appreciate that very much. If you are listening, please look for the subscribe button on the app where you're listening and hit that so when we do come out with a new episode, you'll be able to be informed about that. And also, if you do have ideas for topics or suggestions for the show, we want to hear all of those, and you can send those to us a couple of ways. Uh, you can email us at drjim at toyourhealth.md, or you can tweet us at toyourhealthmd. So that's a couple of ways you can do that, and you can also follow us on Twitter, and we're on Facebook on To Your Health with Dr. Jim Mara. So as As an individual person and as the public, what do people need to do? Well, the immediate risk of this new virus to the American public is believed to be very low right now. I mentioned it's not likely that people will die, but also the the risk in general is very low, but people can still do their part in trying to limit the spread. It's flu season and respiratory disease season right now, and CDC always recommends getting a flu vaccine, and I think that's important. But you need to also take preventative actions to help stop the spread of germs in general because that's something that can help with this disease process. If you're a healthcare care provider, be on the lookout for people who recently traveled to China and have fever and respiratory symptoms on your mind when you're seeing people that have traveled. Uh, we had a patient in the office a couple of weeks ago who had just traveled from China to the States, coming back home, and he had an upper respiratory infection. He had cough and a runny nose, and he was miserable. But what he didn't have was fever, and it's the lack of fever that distinguished this between this and something we needed to do something about. We actually contacted CDC. They had no interest in the man whatsoever. We contacted the public health department in our county. They had no interest in the man. They said, do not send him here. Because he didn't have fever. And without fever, you're really not at risk of having coronavirus. For people who have had close contact with someone who was infected, if you develop symptoms, contact your health care provider. Tell them about your exposure. Tell them about your symptoms. You know, I, I say every few episodes on this show not to say the five most dangerous words in the English language. And it qualifies here. Don't ever say, maybe it will go away. And if you don't do that, then the chance of you having a bad outcome from something like this is very slim. Now, I mentioned earlier that the CDC has been really good about how they're working to try to control this. And really, uh, I was Fairly surprised when I started reading about exactly what they are doing. So to slow the spread of this virus, CDC is working with all of its public health partners, and that's usually health departments and so forth, to implement these new travel procedures that were announced in a presidential proclamation on novel coronavirus just recently. So to sum this whole thing up, and I'm going to have to read these details because I don't have them memorized, but foreign nationals, people who are not a citizen of the United States, who have visited China in the past 14 days may not enter the United States, period. It's just that simple, and you've probably heard about Delta canceling all kinds of flights and a multitude of events and things in China have been canceled. American citizens and lawful permanent residents and their families who have been in China in the past 14 days will be allowed to enter the United States but they will be redirected to one of 11 airports to undergo health screening. So if you think about this, these people are coming into every international airport in the country, which is a bunch of them. a lot more than 11, I'm pretty sure. And they're going to the trouble of taking these people to one of these 11 airports so that they can be questioned and most likely monitored and depending on their health history and their travel history some of their travel restrictions will some of their travel will be restricted until they've been away from China for a total of 14 days because as i mentioned earlier too the longest that they've seen the incubation period be for this virus is 14 days now if you're a us citizen and you're traveling back to the united states your travel will be from China. Your travel will be re- redirected to one of these 11 airports where CDC has these quarantine stations. You'll be asked about your health, and your health will be screened for fever, cough, and trouble breathing, the three things that are, are classic with this virus. And depending on the answers, you might either, ha- either have some restriction on your movement for a period of 14 days till you've been back from China that long, or you might be placed in quarantine. Now, the I mentioned Wuhan, China at the very beginning, and that's in the, I'm going to butcher this, I know, Hubei province in China. And if you've been there in the past 14 days, if you have trouble breathing, if you have fever or cough, the CDC staff at the airport will evaluate you and you'll be taken to a medical facility for evaluation and care. You will not be allowed to complete your travel itinerary. If you don't have symptoms and you came from there, you're going to be placed on the quarantine hole for 14 days to be sure that you don't have the virus. And you may or may not be able to complete your travel at the end of that time. If you're coming from China outside of that province, if you've got symptoms, the same thing applies. You're going to be taken to facility and evaluated, and you may not be able to travel further. And if you don't have symptoms, then here's the good news you will be allowed to reach your final destination. But after you reach your destination, you'll be asked to monitor your health for a period of 14 days after you left China. And this is something where the local health department, the county health departments will be checking in on you. You'll receive a card that tells you what symptoms to look for. And they will be in touch with you with great frequency to be sure that you are not developing symptoms of coronavirus. And that's really how they're going to Uh, limit the spread of the coronavirus here in the United States. And I'm sure that some people will hear that and they will think, well, you can't do that to me, and I'll promise you that they can and that they are, and every single one of us should be glad that they are doing that. So this huge response that the World Health Organization has put on, that the CDC in the United States has put on, and others, how effective might this be? Well, the World Health Organization has already praised China for its efforts in uh, lockdown measures, but there is concern that that might not be enough. I mean, again, they've got 45,000 cases in China already. Now, the good news about the 45,000 cases is in the last two days, the number of new cases has decreased. And that's one of the best things you could possibly see in a situation like this is for the new cases to start to dwindle. And that's going to be a combination of precaution and and limitation and quarantine and also possibly that the virus might be petering out a little bit. Now, in China, they not only closed off transportation, but they also shut down the market in Wuhan that was selling these live animals. And it was thought to be the the origin for this thing. And they also suspended the trade of wild animals nationwide. Now, you can bet that there's some black market for that but for the most part that trade with wild animals in china has been stopped the schools have been closed the great wall is off limits and tourist packages from china have been stopped so they're doing a lot to try to really limit this and to this point it seems that things are pretty well under control but we're still pretty early in this People in China who are sick, who have symptoms, are not allowed to use public transportation. They've got to either walk or bicycle for miles to get to hospitals. And that's a terrible thing, but there's no good way to get around that. And until recently, the researchers were concerned also by the fact that China was not admitting experts who could help them track this virus. And that's, they've let up on that a little bit before a, a short period of time. That was a, a concern and was felt like it was going to be a problem. Now, in the long run, we want a vaccine for this virus. We want a vaccine for pretty much all of them, but we really want one for this because it's been shown to spread very quickly here. Like I mentioned, a vaccine's at least a year away. Uh, But a vaccine could prevent infections and stop it. Uh, After SARS, it took them 20 months to get a vaccine ready just for trials. As it turned out, all of these efforts, which were very similar then, by CDC and WHO, they were uh, successful and a vaccine was never needed and they never really had to go through with all of that. But you never know what's going to happen. If you remember the uh, Zika outbreak in 2015, uh, research brought a vaccine development timeline down to six months. They haven't found a way to do that with coronavirus yet. But that's remarkable if you think about how long some other vaccines have taken to bring to market. So that's the details on the coronavirus, but I want to take one second and just talk a little bit about protecting yourself. I mentioned some of this, but I want to end with this so that it's the thing that's hopefully most present on your mind. CDC doesn't recommend that travelers wear masks to protect themselves. You might wear a mask, but it's more important that you do these things. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And yes, I realize some of this sounds incredibly obvious, but avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth with unwashed hands. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds, especially after you go to the bathroom, before eating, and after blowing your nose, coughing, or sneezing. I know for a fact that if you go in a bathroom and watch people, sometimes they'll wet their hands, sometimes they'll just grab a towel, but you want to wash your hands with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. If you don't have soap and water, use an alcohol-based hand sanitizer with at least 60% alcohol, and I think most of the ones that you'll see have that. But always wash your hands with soap and water if they're visibly dirty. The next one is stay home when you're sick. Don't go to work when you're, and this is not just coronavirus. This is flu or a cold. If you're sick, don't go to work where there's a bunch of other people who are trying to get something done. Stay at home, get well, and then you can go back. And the entire economy and the country and industry and everything will be better off because you did that. When you cough or sneeze, cover your mouth with a tissue and then throw the tissue in the trash, I think that bears repeating throw the tissue in the trash. And then clean and disinfect frequently touched objects and surfaces using regular household cleaner, whatever you typically use to clean your house. So these are the things that you can do every day to keep from getting a wide variety of infections, but also works for things that are as potentially damaging as the coronavirus. So, John, that's what I got on coronavirus.
0: Boy, you dropped the mic on that one. That was good. That was a lot of great information there. So a couple of questions we've got from folks. So one is things are changing rapidly. I mean, you're giving us the information you have as of right this moment. How do people, where should people go to keep up with where this is going? What are reliable sources? Because there's a lot of, junk out there on the internet as we know. Yes, there
1: is. And that's a great question. There's two sites I would go to. I would go to the World Health Organization's website, which I'm pretty sure is who.int. And then there's cdc.gov, which is, of course, the Center for Disease Control's website here in the country. And I found a lot of information on those two websites I would even credit those two websites with this podcast for the information that I got. And it is changing a lot. But the best thing I saw was that in the last couple of days, the new cases are down. That's really huge. And that's where I saw that. Mm. So I would say if you really want to track this, if you're interested enough to really stay on top of it, who.int or cdc.gov.
0: Now, one thing I read and I wondered if you saw this in your research but uh, uh, on this as you were preparing for this show, is that there are still more, will be more deaths this flu season from the influenza virus than there have been from the coronavirus. Oh, that's absolutely true.
1: Absolutely true. And you know, I've, I'm pretty sure we did a podcast on the flu vaccine.
0: I, well, that's where I was going. <laughs> so oh, good. I was going to send people back to that one.
1: Well, I recommend you go back and listen to it because the flu is still here. It is not gone, and it is a wicked virus. And every human being over the age of six months old should have a flu shot during the month of October. And I'm a big believer that getting a flu shot kicks up your immune system so that you can fight other things off. It specifically, of course, just prevents the strains of flu that are in the shot. But I'm a big believer that if you do get a flu shot, you're going to be healthier all winter. And uh, so, yes, people die all the time from the flu. The number of people that get the flu is a whole heck of a lot more than 45,000. And the people that die from it are just a crying shame because it's, for the most part, preventable.
0: And uh, just so folks know, that's episode 18. So if they go back uh, uh, on uh, toyourhealthmd.com or toyourhealthradio.com, they look look at check out episode 18 12 flu shot myths right you dropped the mic on that one too and i
1: don't know what we're doing next time but i have a feeling it might be talking about sleep and insomnia
0: what have you not been getting enough sleep oh i get lots of great sleep okay (laughs) Well, then you're the man to talk about how how the rest of us can get some.
1: I'm a sleeper, and there's two kinds of people in the world. There's, there's sleepers and there's non-sleepers. And I'll tell you right now, if you're a non-sleeper, you got to do whatever you got to do to be a sleeper.
0: Well, you'll have a good one, whatever it is.
1: Thanks, John. I appreciate everyone listening. This is To Your Health.